This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to People Talk. People Talk is about getting ahead at work, becoming a leader, establishing your personal brand, and motivating yourself and those around you. Hosted by Angela Hall, who has decades of experience working in the field of human resources, you can expect lively discussions about topics like workplace politics, dealing with difficult employees and clients, creating an inclusive workplace, and jump-starting your career. Here's your host, Angela Hall. Hello, this is Angela Hall, and welcome to another episode of People Talk. I am absolutely thrilled today to welcome Professor Stacy Hickox. She is an associate professor and the associate director for undergraduate programs in the School of Human Resources and Labor Relations at Michigan State University. Professor Hickox, Stacy is so impressive. She's a double IG leaguer. She got her undergraduate degree from Cornell University and her law degree from University of Pennsylvania. Today, uh, Stacy's going to talk with me about issues involving um, people with disabilities in the workplace. And we're going to have, I know, a wonderful conversation that you're going to be able to um, get some really good, helpful advice from. So welcome, Stacy. Thank you for joining me today. No, thanks for having me. So I want to commend you because I know a lot about your career and you are, if, if I had to look up social justice advocate in the dictionary, there would be a picture of you. You have been from your time being in the Peace Corps to your career, you've been a strong advocate. And I know that you are a national expert on um, the rights of persons with disabilities in the workplace. So I wanted to ask you a question that to bring people up to speed about this issue. So what kind of participation rate do we have with people with disabilities in the workforce in the United States? Well, the labor force participation for people with disabilities is significantly lower than the rest of us. And so uh, what you see is about a rate of about 35% for people with disabilities compared to a rate of somewhere between 75 and 80% for people without disabilities. So that's a significant gap there. Why do you think, Stacy, that the um, participation rate is so low? Well, of course, some of it is that people with disabilities can't do every job that people without disabilities can do. And so that's that part is understandable, you know, and some people even receive Social Security disability because they can't work at all. But but then there's a whole nother group of people who are excluded from the workforce because employers think that they can't perform certain jobs when, in fact, they really can. Um, so employers might be hesitant to hire people with disabilities for various reasons. Um, they might make assumptions about people. Um, for example, there have been cases where someone who's deaf uh, was assumed that they couldn't work in a manufacturing setting because they wouldn't be able to hear, you know, warnings or hear bells or whistles that, that are happening in that setting. But, you know, other employers have found a way around that. Um, and so that's just one example. But there have been, you know, assumptions made about people with disabilities that they can't do things when in fact uh, they really can and so that's part of the part of the problem. Do you think Stacy too that there might be some um, 
as I'm, I'm studying climate change with my daughter and they used the term a positive feedback loop that when things are happen bad in the environment like um, greenhouse gases, it causes uh, an effect that creates even more greenhouse gases. Is it like that with people in the uh, with disabilities in the workplace? A positive feedback loop that in the sense that they have a negative experience with an employer or they've been shut out so much that it may make it so that their, their, um, their drive or ability to get another job is decreased because they've been shot down so many times. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. People get discouraged, right? If they've been rejected over and over again, um, they do get discouraged. And they might, the other thing is they may be afraid to ask for the accommodations that they need to be able to perform the job, right? Because they might feel like if they ask for an accommodation, then that employer will either not hire them or will will get rid of them um, because the employer thinks that that accommodation is not something that they want to do. And so if people don't ask for the accommodation that they need, then they might not be successful in that job, right? And so then it is it is sort of a vicious circle that they're afraid to ask for the accommodation, they need the accommodation, and so then they end up failing in that position. And so um, it's, it's kind of a vicious circle. Wow. Um... Can I ask you, if you were an employer and you wanted to be ahead of the curve, or not even I should say ahead of the curve, you wanted to be an employer that did the right thing and you know did made it so that you had inclusive workplace and part of an inclusive workplace would be having it be a place where people with disabilities can thrive. What would be some of those key considerations for those um, employers? What would you do to make your workplace more inclusive for persons with disabilities? Well, one of the things is just like being inclusive of any group that's been excluded from the workforce is just to try and make a welcoming environment for people. Um, and so you want to do things like make sure that people are using inclusive language, right? Not using terms about people with disabilities that are derogatory and that kind of thing. Um, but beyond that, um, even just starting with a website, you know, I, in fact, I just did a paper last year looking at different websites and how they talked about accommodations on their websites. And if on that website, they uh, make it clear that accommodations are available and that they're not going to be retaliated against for asking for an accommodation, then that goes a long way to make people feel like they are being uh, included or that they would be included if they applied for a job there. Whereas if the website simply says, oh, if you need an accommodation, just call this number, well, that person's not going to know what happens when they call that number. Who are they talking to? And what's going to be the reaction when they call, you know? And so um, just that kind of thing to make it welcoming from, from the very beginning of the relationship. Um, but then, of course, once people get to the workplace, again, making them feel like they're part of a team, not making them feel different or excluded uh, because of their disability. Um, it's just like any other group that feels, you know, left out in the workplace. It's the same idea, just to make uh, that environment uh, welcoming for them. So what you said about the website started to stimulate some thoughts that I've had in my head about, um, you know, you go to a website and as a person of color, I look to see if there are people of color on the, in, on the website as a signal that, hey, this um, organization wants me or wants my business or something like that. And so do you feel that organizations need to do a better job 
of having imagery of people who may have disabilities. And I know that not all disabilities are, are, um, are visible. They're invisible disabilities. But do you think that gives the right signaling when you show someone like maybe with a cane or like with a guide dog or someone who has visibly has a cochlear implant or someone in a wheelchair to make um, applicants, employers, uh, uh, employees feel that they're accepted? I do think that's important, but you make a great point about there being a lot of hidden disabilities. And so that's what makes it hard for someone to know whether or not the environment is going to be inclusive or not. That's why I mentioned the language, right? So mm -hmm. if you look at the website and they're using language that's, you know, really kind of old school and is more derogatory, then you might know that maybe this isn't uh, such an inclusive place. Um, but the other thing is, is just making uh, the business place and the website accessible, right? So uh, things like making the website usable for a screen reader, right? Is going to go a long way to show that, hey, we've thought about these things, right? Or during the interview, not requiring that people uh, be able to see or hear in, in the, the typical way. And so if the employer you know, makes a point of saying, hey, do you need any accommodations to apply for this job? That goes a long way to say, hey, we're thinking about these things. Great. So you talked about derogatory language, and I know that you are very, you know, we're very careful with our language and we put the person before the disabilities, persons with disabilities, people with disabilities. Is that a common um, terminology that is um, uh, supported by the um, community of people with disabilities. It is, um, you know, it's people first has has been uh, accepted for a long time. Um, you know, there have been some debates about the language. Um, some people like to use the word differently abled, you know, and, and there are other terms that are kind of floating around there. Um, but certainly starting with the, um, the person rather than just saying, oh, they're a handicapper or, you know, something like that is, is really kind of derogatory because um, it, it'd be just like calling you black without saying you're a black woman or a black person, you know, it's like, oh, there's a black, you know, <laughs> like, what does that mean? So it's the same idea with a person with disability. Oh, there, there goes a cripple, you know, that, that's really derogatory because that's just taking the person totally out of it. Good. I And I know that you and I have done research before, and I wanted to make sure that our listening audience, you know, picked up on that subtlety because I hear people that I still cons I consider to be open-minded, tolerant people use language. And I think it's just because they don't have the awareness of it, mm -hmm. but they don't realize how that language could potentially be hurtful with someone with a, with a disability. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. So, I'm gonna shift gears a little bit, just a little bit. And I'm gonna ask you, how has the issue of having people with disabilities in the workplace and accommodating them changed, if at all, um, since the pandemic? 
Well, I think probably the biggest thing is that there are a lot more people that have health considerations that are um, challenged by a workplace, right? So if someone has a heart condition or asthma or other things that make them vulnerable to the COVID-19 virus, then uh, they're going to be hesitant to come into the workplace, whereas before they might not have had any real issue with going to work, but now they're very fearful of going to work and rightly so. And so I think that's the biggest thing is that you have a whole group of people who were, you know, before perfectly capable of performing their job. But now, you know, if their employer tells them they need to show up for work, they're saying, no, I'm afraid to. So as an employer, what advice would you give to them in that situation? When you have a person who wants to work, but they're fearful because of what this means because we're in a pandemic, which literally is can be life or death. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's two parts of it, right? So the first thing, of course, is that employers should be following the CDC guidelines as far as keeping everyone safe, right? And that's going to help to keep those vulnerable people safe as well. Um, but the second thing is to be open to being flexible with people being at work versus working at home. Great. And that's a great segue. I know to my next question, I know that you have an, a paper that's coming out with um, Chen Wei Lao, and it's coming out of Hofstra Labor and Employment Law Journal, and it's about telework and people with disabilities. So could you talk a little bit about that and tell me how you would uh, accommodate or support people with disabilities who are working remotely? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about that paper is I've written about different types of accommodations for a while, and Chen Wei and I wrote this paper a couple of years ago, and then nobody wanted to accept it. <laughs> it kind of sat on the shelf. But then when uh, COVID-19 hit, I thought, oh, this is kind of uh, relevant now because everyone is working at home. And so uh, what we looked at were what are the different accommodations that uh, could be made for people with disabilities to work remotely, whether or not we're in a pandemic, right? And so uh, the argument is that if all these people can be working remotely now during COVID-19, then why wouldn't that also be a reasonable accommodation for people with disabilities, uh, whether it's during a pandemic or not during a pandemic? Because, of course, there are a lot of people who uh, have a disability that requires that they work at home, at least part time, uh, even without a pandemic. That's really good. And I have to say that um, I have given a few talks and done um, and been in, in the popular media um, a, a bit during the last few months. And people are asking me this question even outside of personal disabilities. They're like, now the genie is out of bottle, the cat's out of the bag. People are working remotely. So when this pandemic is over, how do you look an employee in the face and say, hey, you can't work remotely when you've been successful and thriving over the past year or two doing this? So I yeah. think this raises an important issue, particularly for persons with disabilities. Yeah, right. and that's the, that's the exact argument that we make. And, and the other thing that we do is we look at the research that's been done about remote teams and about remote work, because there's been a lot of HR research that's been done about how to make those uh, working teams successful, and then said, well, why can't we apply the same strategies to people with disabilities who are also working in a remote team? And if you use the same strategies, it's going to help to make them successful as well. Great. Thank you. So before we go, I wanted to know if you had any parting thoughts 
pearls of wisdom that you'd want to give to employers or persons with disabilities in order to make persons with disabilities thrive in the workplace? I, mean, I think the biggest point that I always try to make is that when you're thinking about accommodating someone for their disability, you need to do it on an individualized basis. And that's true for remote work, but it's also true for, true for other accommodations as well. Um, so for example, you might have someone on a remote team or on a team and, you, and the employer might just say, oh, we don't want any of our teams to be remote, right? We don't we want don't want anyone to be absent from the workplace. Well, that's a really strong generalization. Whereas if you could look at an individual and say, can this individual thrive as a remote worker, right? And and think about their particular qualities and their particular job. And it may be that that particular person can be very successful. Whereas, you know, the person next to them might not be. They might just not have a personality where they can thrive uh, in that environment. And so everything should be and that's actually what the Americans with Disabilities Act requires is that everything should be individualized. There should be an assessment of the person's job, but also the, an assessment of their disability and to say, okay, where are the gaps there? And, and what are the real gaps, not just things that employers are assuming uh, based on stereotypes or fears or you know, different things that they're uh, thinking about that person? Well, great. That is really great advice that you've given us. This has been a wonderful interview. Thank you for coming on, Stacy. If you have questions for Stacy, you can reach her at Hickox, that's H-I-C-K-O-X-S, like Stacy, at msu.edu. This is Angela Hall. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of People Talk. And I will be back next week with another guest and another um, hopefully very interesting to you topic. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to another episode of People Talk with Angela Hall. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues and remember to subscribe to our show. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.